we're glad to see you this morning, and we are in a series called Habits. The title of the message this morning is called Relationships Think Win-Win. Relationships Think Win-Win. We've been utilizing the material from about three different books, James Clear's Atomic Habits, Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit, and the bulk of the material has been coming from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, I've gotten calls and texts and a couple of personal handwritten notes that have been a real blessing to me with people saying, this series is really blessing me. I need this. Um, keep going. It's a great encouragement. And so I just want to thank you for your encouragement for me and for our uh, team that have been preaching this. As we jump in this morning, relationships think win-win. We have two passages of scripture that I would like to look at today. The first one is in Matthew 7. The second one is in Matthew as well. It's about five verses. This one is just one verse. And I'd like you to read this one out loud with me, please. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Who knows what that's called? Everybody say the golden rule. Golden rule, you learned this probably as a child, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, the Americanized version of that is do unto others before they do unto you. We don't want that. We want Jesus' version, do unto others as you would wish them or you want them or you would like for them to do to you. That really is the summary of everything that is in all the law and the prophets. If you'll just treat others the way you want to be treated then you really, out of love, begin to understand what it means to walk in the spirit of the law of God, God's nature. It's, it's just built into us with our conscience, with the awareness that we all have, and how we're treated and how that makes us feel. So Jesus just basically says, look, let your own, uh, let your own sense of uh, sensitivity to how you're treated be the guide how you want other people to treat you, then go out of your way to treat them that same way, and you will reap that crop. Listen to this. This is from the message from the same verse. It says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. When you add up 613 laws and all the powerful messages of the prophets of God throughout all the Old Testament, then everything hangs on this one concept right here, do to others as you would have them do to you. I want to go to a second passage this morning from Matthew chapter 22, I believe in verses 35 through 40. I'll read this, so just listen. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And here we pick up on the screen. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Pray with me this morning. Gracious God, we're so thankful for all of your blessings that you've poured out upon us 
Thank you that in Christ we've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We just acknowledge this morning how much and how desperate we are, how much we need you. We know that apart from you we're nothing, but God, we are grateful in this moment to say thank you that we're not apart from you. We were once far off, but we've been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. And now he lives inside of us. Christ in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory is what Colossians 1.27 says. And we thank you for that. We rest in that truth. We ask you today to, Holy Spirit, be what only you can be. Do what only you can do. You're the only teacher in this room. Get in my words and my thoughts and penetrate the hearts of your people. And Holy Spirit, be their ears and their eyes and their heart and their understanding. Help them to perceive. Let transformation come into their hearts and lives, I pray. It is in the strong and the powerful and the matchless name of Jesus that we ask these things and all of God's people said, amen. I'm so grateful that when Abby started out her very surprised announcement speech or acceptance speech, she didn't have anything prepared. She said, I'm not going to win this anyway. I'm not going to write anything down. And we're sitting there and it came around. We'd gone through 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 categories and she was the 65th category and they put them all up there. And then they said, it's, it's a tie. And the whole place went, <gasps> it was like a gasp, but you could hear the crowd. And the guy said, hey, that's a cool response, good, good response. And so he said, Leon Bridges, bet ain't worth the hand. It's a, a new blues R&B guy. And then he said, how deep is your love? P.J. Morton featuring Yeba. And she looked at me and she said, did he just call my name? I said, yeah, baby. She said, do I get up and go up there? And I said, yes, baby, you get up and go up there. <laughs> so truly, it was unexpected. And then the first thing out of her mouth was, I want to thank the Holy Spirit for peace of mind. I love that. Several people commented on that and said, where'd that come from? I said, well, let me just tell you, there's about two years of grief history behind those words. Thank God for peace of mind in her heart and life and in all of our family and all that we've been through. The one thing that I want to bring to you this morning is this very simple concept. The golden rule and the great commandment are God's plan for our relationships. Say that with me. The golden rule and the great commandment are God's plan for our relationships. As a matter of fact, I want to add a word to it. I want to put the word master in front of plan. Let's say that together. The golden rule and the great commandment are God's master plan for our relationships. Turn to one person around you right now and tell them the golden rule and the great commandment are God's master plan for our relationships. Real quick review. We're in number six this morning. We talked about the law of little things in number one. What we repeatedly do determines our destiny. We talked about the law of perspective in number two, and that is what we see determines how we act. We talked about the law of choice. My choices yesterday determine the person that I am today. Number four, we talked about the law of vision. Without a vision, I will never fulfill my destiny. And last week, Chris did a great job on the law of priority. He was reluctant to call it a law, but it's a law. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everybody say, seek first. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff that you want to worry about. It will come as a matter of course. It will be added unto you in Christ, the word says. He had a great one-liner that I, I wrote down. He says, priorities are the things you do. Everything else is just talk. That's hard. 
whoo, that slapped me in the face when I heard it. I was listening. I said, man, that's good. But that, that's, that's tough stuff. Say it with me. Priorities are the things you do. Everything else is just talk. Help us, Lord, to be doers and not just hearers or talkers only. The golden rule and the great commandment are God's master plan for our relationships. As we jump into this this morning, we're going to be talking about the law of love. Everybody say, the law of love. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us, Paul the Apostle tells us in multiple places that love is the fulfillment of all the law. When we walk in love, then we manifest the nature and the character of our Heavenly Father. And so we are moving into, point number one, a major transition. We are moving from private victory in our lives as we begin to establish some new habits, little things that can have ripple effects. Private victory precedes public victory. Private victory precedes public victory. In other words, what this is saying is, I can't faithfully and effectively lead others until I learn how to lead myself. I must get private victory in my life so that I can experience and lead others into public victory. Uh, we talk about this in the, the relationship of maturity in our lives. You don't want your son or your daughter, you as a young person, don't want to marry someone who is emotionally stunted and incredibly immature because it's going to not bode well for a future relationship. You want to marry someone that is mature, that is at least open to growing and learning and not set in immature, insecure ways. Somebody say amen. Private victory precedes public victory. I learn to lead myself and then I learn to lead in my family with a spouse. Then I learn to lead my children and consistency and commitment are so critical when it comes to what I'm going to build into them because they won't do what they hear me say to do. They will do what they see me do. How many of you know that leadership and raising your children is all about what you do and not what you say? You can look at them all day long and say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to do what they see you do. They're going to follow your example because leadership is caught and not taught. Leadership is caught and not taught. I have to lead out of private victory that then produces public victory in my life. Otherwise, character is a critical issue and it will be found out that I'm not what I say I am. I am not practicing what I preach. I am, I am not walking what I'm talking. The little Japanese preacher said years ago, no walkie-walkie, no talkie-talkie. That's such a Brad Preacher joke, and you guys are so gracious to, to laugh at me. <laughs> Salvation is progressive. It is, yes, once and for all. When I come to Christ, my spirit is sealed. If I die in that moment, I will go to heaven. But God begins the process of what we call sanctification that is part of the big panoramic idea of salvation. He begins a work in me. And he is doing something in me right now that he is not finished with. Christ's work at the cross is a finished work. But the Holy Spirit has a current, present, finishing work that is going on in our lives. Somebody say amen. 
So salvation is progressive. It is, it is once and for all. In the, in the moment that I confess Christ and I'm converted, I'm regenerated, I'm born again, but yet there is a process of growing into this new nature that God has put on the inside of me and departing from, taking off the old garments, the old ways, the old habits, the old behaviors of the old life and putting on Christ is what Paul the Apostle talks about. Stephen Covey gives us a paradigm. If you would go ahead and put that diagram up for me, and I'm not going to take a long time uh, other than just to say what you see represented in this strange-looking wheel uh, literally are the seven habits. Now, we begin personally in a place of complete dependence. We're born into the world entirely dependent upon other people to take care of us. But as we add day to day that becomes weeks, that becomes months, that becomes years, then there is an expectation as a human being that we will begin to learn the process and mature and learn how to take care of ourselves. You know, you expect a baby that is two and a half years old to have an accident with the diaper once in a while. When they're 21, there's a problem. It's such a ridiculous analogy, but how many of you know there's some folk who need to hear that? When we're still living in a state of constant immaturity and not willing to grow because we're looking for complete dependence upon somebody else, God wants us to grow up. So we, we learn how to become proactive. We shift our paradigm. We begin to see things from a new perspective, and we become responsible in our living and then we learn to see the end from the beginning. We plan with vision. And then, as Chris brought last week, we start to prioritize the things of our lives. We don't just schedule our priorities, but we prioritize. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. We don't just prioritize our schedule, but we learn to actively schedule those things that are priorities in our lives. We put them first. And so as we start to do that, we're growing up from dependence on everybody else to a place of personal independence. But you don't want to stay in a place of just being an island. Because as gifted as you are, as mature as you may be in this moment, there are things that you cannot accomplish without the assistance or the help or the gifts or, or the collaboration of others around you. As a matter of fact, God made us so that we wouldn't do things alone. As a matter of fact, the, the, uh, all of the creation passage in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of every creation day, God stops and he says, behold, it is good. End of the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And he says of Adam, he says, behold, it is good. He steps back and he says, all of this is very good. But then he says in Genesis chapter 2, the first time God says it's not good, is he says it's not good for man to be what? alone. So we're made to participate in something that is outside of us, something that is bigger than we are, to be in relationships that gather the collective resources and, and the vision and the giftings and combine them and put them together and be able to accomplish something that is bigger than we are. That's the mission and the vision of Victory Church. It is not the Mike Smith show. For years on the front end, it was because I was having to do everything. And then we started to learn to delegate. And when I finally moved out of kind of a hyper-possessiveness over things, that's when we really began to start to grow because people felt empowered and they bought into the vision and they had resources and they had responsibility and they had authority to make decisions. 
Because God doesn't intend for us to be alone. There are things that you can do by yourself, but there's so much more that when we decide that we will do something together and reach out for something that is bigger than all of us individually. Somebody say amen. So what you begin to do is you move to a place of independence. And now in that place of independence, we begin to build relationships with other people besides ourselves. We've learned to lead ourselves and we've gained some private victory. And now I have to learn to reach out into the lives of others and influence them for the greater good. Today's principle that we're talking about moves us toward public victory. Everybody say public victory. Today's principle moves us toward public victory because we have to learn to think win-win in relationships. We, we are so polarized in this current state of Affairs in America and the political ideology, we square off right against left and conservative against liberal and Democrat against Republican. And what I'm trying to show you here as a kingdom man is that regardless of your personal convictions, I want you to live as a kingdom person, which is a determination to, to not, not forsake your ideas of what you think the right kind of political decisions are to be in our nation, but to be a person who is willing to dwell in the radical middle. The radical middle. Jesus stood between Pharisees on one side and Sadducees on the other. That could easily be likened to the fundamentalist of today and the modernist. It could easily be likened to the hardline conservatives and, and, and the soft progressive liberals. And so what you have is two extremes, and in this particular day and time, you, you, are, you are pressed into a place of navigating into one extreme or the other, and so it becomes commonplace to be an extremist on social media. Either you're progressive and you're extremist in that regard, or you're progressive and you're hardline, pushing to the right in that regard, and the real radical position anymore is not being on either side, but it's being willing to stand in the middle and say, guess what? There are ideas that we can pull from both sides for the betterment of the people of this nation. Come on, somebody. Help me here. That's what Jesus did. Because there were times that he would stand in agreement with this side and times that he would stand in agreement with this side, and there were times when he opposed both of them and ticked them all off. And so the real mission is that we're willing to dwell and live in the radical middle and trust God to give us influence and the anointing to help build his kingdom. In the great commandment, there is a progression of love, and the sequence is vital. He says, first of all, love the Lord your God. Love God. Love God. Love self. Love others. Now, some of you might think that I got that out of order. It should be love God, love others, love self. But according to what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't have some personal self-love, honey, your neighbor ain't got a chance. It ain't got a snowball's chance on a hot summer day in Memphis, Tennessee. You have to love God with all of your heart and then learn to love the individual that God has made you to be. That doesn't mean that you just tolerate and accept the areas where you are struggling and growing, but you learn to love the core, the essence of who God has made you to be. And out of that love for yourself, then you love others. Is that okay? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? A lot of folks, that comes, becomes news to them. 
because they think that everything should be behind, we should be behind everything else. But if we fulfill what Jesus said, do love your neighbor as yourself, and you hate yourself, your neighbor ain't got a chance. As a matter of fact, that's what's producing the hypercritical spirit in a couple of you. You're so critical of everybody else because you're so critical of yourself. And you need to, to get free and get some personal security and grow in your maturity, your emotional maturity and who God has made you to be. And then out of that new place of newfound love for God and love for self, then you can love others. Somebody say amen. The sequence is vital. Love God, love self, love others. Moving toward interdependent living offers us unlimited potential. You don't want to stay dependent on everybody the rest of your life. Nor do you want to get to a place where you're so independent that you just say, I don't need nobody. And you know what? Fine. Just go and live by yourself, you old grouch. <laughs> now, how many of you know folk will let you do that too? And, and sooner or later, you're going to want to come out of that cave and folk will say, ooh, well, look what happened. Look, look what resurrected this morning. Something raised from the dead. <laughs> and they want to go, you know, you need to get you a good dose of sweetness before you try to come out here and associate with the rest of us. And sometimes we have to have a greater degree of love and grace because some folks are what we call EGR, extra grace required. <laughs> Don't look at nobody. Don't look at nobody in the room when I say that. Because I honestly, before God, have nobody in, this, in mind in this room. All your relationships, there's somebody that's an EGR, and so you have to have more grace. You have to love them. Those are the ones that need desperately to be loved because a lot of times they're living their lives through a lens of personal rejection, and we want to be bigger than that. It was Stephen Covey that said, the place to begin building any relationship is inside ourselves, inside our circle of influence, which is our character. You want to have a successful relationship with someone else, then you want to learn to begin to think win-win because it's not always a binary win-lose situation. I learned a number of years ago that I might be totally right intellectually or academically or theologically, and I can argue till I prove my point, but if I've lost a friend in the process, what have I really gained by just proving that my concept was correct? And so sometimes you have to be willing to lay some things down, a determination to prove, and that was coming out of a place of personal insecurity in my own life. And so I had to let the Holy Spirit help me grow a little bit where it didn't matter whether somebody thought I was right or wrong because I had to make sure the relationship was more important. People are always more important, come on, saints, than, than proving a point. Somebody say amen. The place to begin building any relationship is inside ourselves, inside our circle of influence, which is our character. Why? Because the golden rule and the great commandment are God's master plan for our relationships. Point number two, the goal of friendship. We want to move to a place where people can relate to us and we begin to build a bond, not just out of what we can get them to do for us, but out of a genuine sense of care. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, Paul the Apostle wrote and he said, let the same care one for another be among all of you as the saints of God. We want to care for those that are hurting. We want to reach underneath and serve and pick them up and love on them. We are progressing out of a place of selfish state to a friendship. We're progressing and growing toward friendship. Friendship is the goal. 
in any relationship, in a marriage. Let me tell you something. You better establish a relationship that's based on friendship because in 50 years, he ain't going to look the same. She isn't either. I'm sorry, but it's just things are going to change. <laughs> what was it daddy used to say? And I don't want to be offending anybody, but he used to say, you know, uh, beauty fades away, but ugly is to the bone. <laughs> Something, uh, no, no, beauty may be skin deep, but ugly is to the bone. Beauty fades away, but ugly holds its own. <laughs> And and ugly is a whole lot more than just external. It has to do with the inside and the spirit and the heart and the nature of a person. You can have the whole package on the outside. All kind of plastic people in L.A., all image conscious. And they're so brotoxed and botoxed up, they don't halfway know what's going on. Don't have any ability to have any kind of no emotion on their faces because they're so botoxed up. I met a couple of those people, and I am not about to say who, what their names are anyway. What we want is friendship. Friendship is the goal, but trust is the bridge. Trust is the bridge that gets us across to the other side. Trust is the fruit and the product of integrity. There is no real friendship where there is no trust, and there is no real trust where there is no integrity. Trust begins with me. It begins with me getting a private victory over my willingness and determination to follow through with what I say I will do. Determined to keep my commitments when I, when I lay it on the line and promise somebody that I will be somewhere at a certain time. And I don't keep everybody held up. Or I don't just, just fall apart and, and not keep the commitment. Because commitments are critical. A kingdom person is going to keep his or her commitments. Somebody say amen. Now, I want you to know that I have people come in my office all the time that at one point were madly in love with each other. And, and the current song on their playlist is, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Whoa, love and feeling. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't wave your hand. Don't, don't anybody think that you've lost it, okay? But I want you to realize that so many marriages end not because folk don't love each other anymore, but they end because they don't trust each other anymore. A lot of folk will tell you, oh, I, I still love that person, but I don't trust them. And I want you to see that lasting relationships and the kingdom of God are built on trust. Jesus told me, and the word of God from Genesis to Revelation commands me that I love everybody, but the only one in the word of God that God told me I had to trust was him. And guess what? If I trust you, it's because you've earned my respect and you've been counted dependable. How, are you hearing what I'm saying? If you may love somebody, I, I, I'll just go ahead and tell, call it like it is. There are folk in this room that I love them with all my heart, but I don't trust them as far as I can pick them up and throw them. Oh, I can't believe he said that. Who's he talking about? I'm not talking about anybody. How many of y'all know, you know what I'm talking about? You may still love somebody, but you can't stay in a relationship with somebody that you don't trust anymore. Because the relationship is built on trust, and trust is built on integrity. And if I'm going to have that thing last, I have to be trustworthy. Somebody help me this morning. There are emotional bank accounts that we all have. 
Dr. Covey talks about this. He says, effective Christians realize that trust is key to all productive relationships. The kingdom of God is built on it. Building effective relationships demands that we make trust deposits into the emotional bank accounts of others. And when I don't keep my word, then I have just made a withdrawal from someone else's emotional bank account. I have to learn to be faithful. I have to be dependable. Listen to this. In relationships, remember, little things are big things. A lot of folks get divorced not because somebody was unfaithful, but it's all the little things that add up over time. You may love them, but you don't trust them anymore. And it's, it's such a sad state of affairs because it, once you destroy that trust, it's going to take time to rebuild it. You can spend 30 years building an amazing, trustworthy, respect-filled marriage, and in one stupid decision, one swoop, you can literally deplete and destroy the whole emotional bank account of your spouse because you do something that is demonically inspired and you weren't thinking with your right mind when you did it. Y'all don't shout me down. Come on. We have to be careful with our relationships because little things are big things, and one man's mission is another man's minutia. We need to pay attention to the little things. We keep our commitments. The greatest deposit that we can make with others is in keeping our commitments. Look at your neighbor and say, keep your commitments. Every commitment is a major deposit into the emotional bank account of another person. Every broken commitment is a major withdrawal from their emotional bank account. What is our one thing? The golden rule and the great commandment are God's master plan for our relationships. Point number three, and I'm finished this morning. I want to give you four things, four keys quickly to building relationships that last. Because we're at a point now where we've grown out of, we're out of dependence, and we're independent, we're whole, we have integrity, and so now we want to collaborate. We want to enter into a marriage. We want to be partners in a business. We want to share a vision in a community of spiritual believers. We want to be able to reach out and do some significant things in the Delta. Then, then I, I don't just want to uh, do this by myself. I want to take my private victory into a place of public victory. And I want to lead people from a place of, of trust and from a place of respectability, and from a place of responsibility and honor. Somebody say amen. Number one, make your expectations clear. Expectations are sometimes the greatest hindrance in any relationship. Unrealized or disappointed expectations. When I sit down with a young couple and I talk to them, one of the things is I ask, what are you expecting out of this relationship? And sometimes they've never thought to ask the question. And in that moment, sometimes they realize that they're not entirely the same direction. Maybe it's not a big enough thing to really question whether or not they should get married, but it is big enough to say that we want to recognize this on a front end and make some significant changes because unrealized expectations are issues that cause trust to be broken. As a pastor, we sit down at least twice a year with new members that are desiring to become part of Victory Church and we teach three Sunday nights on foundations. I teach the middle one, and one of the biggest topics that I speak to is the issue of unrealistic expectations of local church members. They expect the pastor to do everything and be everything. Be my lawyer, be my advisor, loan me money when my bank account is low, be my banker, be my doctor, 
Some of you may not have that kind of expectation. Thank God you're, you're a little more mature person. You don't think like that. But there's some folk who come from a little tiny, small church experience where the pastor does everything, and they expect to come into victory and me to do what always their pastor did in the past. And I just want to say, look, this is, uh, this is like the airline check when you get on a plane. Every time you get on the plane, the pilot comes on and he tells you the, the particular uh, flight number and their destination. It's called a destination check. Why do you think he gets on and says, this is United Airlines Flight 774 headed to Dallas, Texas? Because he wants to make sure that everybody on the plane wants to go to Dallas. Even in these days of incredible TSA security, once in a while you can see where a situation happens when two loading bays are right side by side. Somebody gets on a plane going to Dallas when they want to go to Houston. And nobody on the plane gets upset when the person says, excuse me, I'm on the wrong plane. So we just say the same thing. When we meet in our foundations class and we say, look, you've been coming for a few weeks, hopefully, because it always makes me leery when somebody comes one Sunday and they tell me after church, I want to join this church. Because, you know, you don't go out on one date and ask somebody to marry you. At least I hope you don't. Y'all are a little bit quiet in here this morning. Uh, but I just think you need to hang around a little while and look and check things out. Because you can't get a good picture of what we do around here in one Sunday. Because as bad as I try, some Sundays I don't knock it out of the park. I just get home and I go, God, thank you that I at least got the first base today. Next Sunday's another time in the batter's box. How many know what I'm talking about? Let's just face it. Every day you're at work, it's not all 110% day. Every time we sing, it's not always great. Somebody gets a little off. You just have days that are, not, that are not exactly right. And so being able to observe people in those kinds of circumstances and then seeing whether they get the big head when they really do do well are issues that you want to pay attention to when you get into a marriage or a relationship or a partnership or start a business with somebody else. You want to watch them for a little while. You want to make sure that they really are what they say they are. Don't shout me down. I'm preaching good this morning. But one of the biggest issues is unrealistic expectations. Folk expecting crazy things from pastors that they wouldn't expect from anybody else. You know, just expect me to drop everything and just come hold your hand sometime. You don't expect your dentist or your doctor or your accountant or your lawyer to do that. You call and make an appointment. Uh-oh, I quit preaching and started meddling this morning. How many, how many of you know I'm telling the truth? Let's, let's grow up and get real people. Unrealistic expectations. There are those that are legitimate, that are unrealized, and they hurt us. We need to be very clear and on the front end say, this is what we're going to get out of this friendship, this relationship, this marriage, this partnership. And then demonstrate personal integrity. We must be willing to go beyond honesty to being effective with others. Honesty is conforming my words to reality, but integrity is conforming my reality to my words. And I want to live that. I want to keep that commitment. The best way to demonstrate personal integrity, hear this, some of you need to hear this. The best way to demonstrate personal integrity is to demonstrate loyalty to those who are not present. When it's easy to talk about somebody. When you think, oh, well, we need to pray. And you disguise your gossip in a prayer request. Now, I really quit preaching and started meddling right now. How many of you know there's some things you know that everybody don't need to know about? 
Maybe you know about it. You just need to keep your mouth shut and you need to pray over it. Somebody help me this morning. Disloyal people have a disease. It's called gossip. And it's called disloyalty, which all their relationships die from. Apologize sincerely when you make a withdrawal. When you withdraw from somebody's emotional bank account, just own it and apologize. Because when you're sincere in your apology, that makes a huge difference in being able to restore some trust. There's nothing worse than a, there's nothing more greater than a withdrawal that comes from being insincere in your apology. Somebody say amen. Am I helping anybody this morning? This is some good stuff. We want to think win-win. We want to do to others as we would have them do unto us. We want to love people out of everything that we do and keep our commitments. We want to walk in love and not in law, not in legalism. The beauty of the kingdom of God is that we freely elect Jesus as king and we choose to obey him. The evil of the kingdom of darkness is that there is force or there is coercion or there is fear and there is manipulation and intimidation. If you're in a relationship where you're being verbally abused or, God forbid, physically or sexually abused and someone is talking down to you and berating you and destroying who you are as a person and planting seeds of self-hatred, that is not of God. Get out of it and run as fast as you can. All submission in the kingdom of God is voluntary. If you submit to me as pastor, it's because you have felt led of the Lord to do so, and it's not because anybody around here has demanded you to do anything. I submit to my board of trustees, not because they demand it, because I know that is a protection for me there. Our elders, our deacons, we call them shepherds and team leaders here. There is a submission, uh, recognizing that to grow something that's bigger than I am, I don't have my finger in every pie anymore, so I listen to people that are experts in areas and that are making decisions, and I submit to their expertise, and I say, I'm going to let you make the call. I'll pray for you. I'll back you. Whatever you decide, let's, let's do it. And so we learn how to mutually submit one to another. It's a, a lot of guys that are always hard lines say, Pastor, preach that Ephesians 5 passage on wives, submit to your husbands. And I go, yeah, I'll be glad to. Be glad to because there's not a wife in the room that wouldn't gladly submit to a man that'll do what Christ did for the church and that's lay his life down for her. Sure, I'll preach wives submit to your husbands, but I'm going to preach you die for her, sacrifice your life and everything you want to make her happy. And let's put it all together because the whole passage starts with submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Brothers, you don't call the shots just because you have a certain physical anatomy, and I'm going to leave that alone. It's because you're male. Sisters, you're not a doormat just because you don't have that. All right? We work together. We collaborate. We are partners together, side by side. Somebody say amen. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, I'm finished. The golden rule and the great commandment are God's plan for our relationships. Come on back, musicians. Sydney, help me. In the great commandment, love God, love yourself, love others. In the great commandment, we see public victory in relationships because it flows out of a love for God first, a love for self because he's transforming my life, and then a love for others flows out of both of those. The golden eggs of life that you're looking for are laid by the goose of effective interpersonal relationships. Once in the public dimension, the golden rule states that we treat others as we would be treated. 
Remember, stop and think about this. Avoid the snare of thinking that everybody thinks like you do because they all don't. So we have to be open and listen and understand. Mature Christians have cultivated effective relationships with others, recognizing the truth of God's first pronouncement of his creation of the one thing that is not good. He looked at man and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. That's not just in intimate relationships, spouse to spouse, husband to wife, but it's in close friendships, brother to brother, sister to sister, where we come alongside and strengthen one another. And it means that we love each other enough to get in your face and to be able to speak some truth, but do it and it's so bathed and immersed and baptized in love that folk know our motivation and our hearts, where we're coming from. I'm thankful for some folks that get into my face. It's not everybody's business to do that, but there's a, there's a, there's a handful of folks that have the key to my heart that no matter what I'm doing, I'll stop dead in my tracks when they say, wait a minute, hang on. Let's just stop. Let's pray about this. Everybody needs somebody in your life that you trust enough to let them say, hang on. If you don't, you may be an independent man or woman, but the scripture tells us that we cannot accomplish what God has called us to accomplish if we try to stay in a place of complete independence. We're growing into interdependence. Every time I get up here, I have a little bit of a ritual that I go through and it's not for you, but it's for me. I, hear, I have to hear myself say, God, I need you more than I ever have before. I know that apart from you, I'm nothing. But I also know that now down on the inside of me, transformation has taken place and Christ lives in me. But I still know that there's a separation. I'm the creature. He's the creator. There's a distinction. Yes, we are one, but there's something in me that's bigger than I am. And I'm in a relationship with that. And this morning, I just want to tell you how critical it is for you to recognize that God doesn't want any of you in this room to be alone and apart from Him. You're facing some issues. You've got some struggles. People in this room right now are under a mountain of pressure that nobody else around you even has a clue that it's going on. But you know what? The Lord knows. He's very familiar with every struggle that you have. He knows our troubles. He knows our sorrows. And he's inviting you to come and join in relationship, to quit being independent and to step into a place of interdependence where you can say, God, this is who I am. Take me. Use me. I want to be part of your kingdom. I'd ask you this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around.